The scripture reading for this morning will be from John chapter 11, verses 18 through 26. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? blessing to be together this Lord's Day. We're thankful for each and every one that has come out to be with us this morning to worship our God. We are thankful for the ones who have led us in our worship and our time together this morning so far. We hope that you will be encouraged as we open up God's Word and study from it this morning. Death is the great unknown. It's something that we are sometimes afraid to talk about. We certainly don't like to think about it. And yet it is the one constant in life. Unless Jesus returns first, we will all die. And sometimes we use terms like afterlife to express the idea that there is something beyond this life. But have you ever stopped to think about why we believe in life after death? Why do we use that kind of terminology? Should we believe in life after death? That's the question that we want to explore this morning. Because it is a question that has eternal ramifications. It will matter greatly to us in the reasons for this. But why should we believe in life after death? I really think is a very simple question with a very simple answer. In fact, I think we can answer this question with one word. Jesus. Jesus is why we should believe in life after death. Now, if you think that's the end of the sermon, then uh, I have hate to disappoint you. We will explore a little bit in, in greater detail why that is the answer. But what I want us to think about is why Jesus is the solution or the answer to this question. This morning we're going to be looking at several terms, or we're going to be using several terms. We're going to be talking about the body, and when we are talking about the body, what we mean is our physical, mortal body that is uh, capable of dying. That's what we mean by that, something that is capable of death. The soul, when we talk about the soul, 
While there may be some distinction between soul and spirit, we're not really going to dive into that this morning. I think in most cases, those are pretty interchangeable kinds of terms, uh, maybe with some nuance there, but uh, the soul, the way that we're going to be using that this morning, we're talking about the essence of who we are. We're talking about us as living beings. It's not that we have a soul, it's that you are a soul. I think sometimes we get that confused. But we are people, we are souls or beings. If A lot of times we use this terminology if, uh, in, in boats, and I know we have a few that are about to go on a cruise, and I don't want to scare you, but uh, if someone was lost at sea, we might say there were a few souls that lost their lives, or we saved or we rescued this number of souls. We're talking about living persons or people there. That's how we're going to be using that term this morning. The term death, it can be used in a variety of ways, but the focus that we will be looking at this morning is the idea of physical death. That is the separation of the body and soul or the spirit. In James chapter 2, in James chapter 2, in verse 26, he says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. That the body separated from the spirit, that is death. In the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 35, in Genesis chapter 35, and in verse 18, when Rachel was giving birth to Benjamin, it said in, says in verse 18, It came about as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. And so you can see that the separation or the departing of the soul from the body, that is physical death. We might be alluding to a little bit of the spiritual, or the second death, that is spiritual and eternal separation from God in hell. That is another way that the Bible uses death. And sometimes it's talking about our spiritual separation from God, that is that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Death can be used in a variety of ways. It will depend on the context. But for the most part this morning, we're going to be speaking about physical death, that is the death or the separation of our body from our soul and spirit. And so, why is this a question that we need to think about? What can offer some solutions? Why should we believe in life after death? And as I mentioned, I think the answer is found in Jesus because Jesus is the Creator. He is the Creator of us in our existence. He is the Creator and the One who gave us life. In the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, in the Gospel of John, in the John the first chapter, John opens with this declaration about Jesus that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, Nothing came into being that has come into being. That everything that exists, it has come because of Jesus and His 
creative ability that God, in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, when we read about that, Jesus is there. We may not read Jesus in the text, but Jesus is present. He is involved in the creation of this world, and He is involved in the creation of mankind. And in Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 7, when God created and formed man from the dust of the ground, it says that He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That God created us with a with this soul, where we became a living being. And he then created us in his own image, as we learn in the first chapter of Genesis. In chapter 1 and verse 26, then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created him. When God created man and woman, He created us with the ability to dwell for eternity. Now, we are different in the fact that God, He is eternal in nature. That is, that He has no beginning. He has no end. He created us, though, with a beginning, a definite starting point. But He created us where we can share in, his, uh, in that eternal space or that eternal realm where we would continue on, where the soul never dies. The soul never ceases to exist. And I think we can see that demonstrated in Scripture. And I think in very, one very clear text in Matthew chapter 22 when Jesus was being questioned about the idea of a future resurrection. The Sadducees who came to Him who doubted and they denied the existence of angels and of spiritual beings and spiritual realms. They, uh, it denied the the possibility of resurrection from the dead. Jesus, He confronts them, and in Matthew chapter 22 and in verse 31, it says, But regarding the resurrection of the dead, this is Jesus speaking to them, Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And He quotes from the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 3, when God, speaking to Moses, said, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And it might be a very subtle point, a very subtle thing there, but he uses a very present tense verb, I am, not I was or I will be in the future, but I am. That Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they had been dead for about 400 years roughly. By the time God was speaking to Moses. And yet God speaking to Moses says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Present tense. That they in some form, in some realm, were still in existence. Because that is how God created us. I think we see this point even furthermore in Matthew chapter 17. When Jesus was being transfigured in Matthew chapter 17 and in verse 3 that Jesus was up on a mountain and He was talking with 
Moses and Elijah. This was not Moses and Elijah reincarnated or something like that. This is that they are present with him in some form. Obviously, it being a miracle. But that they are Moses and Elijah. And I think this just goes to show they had been dead for Moses nearly 15 or 1400 years at that point. Elijah for 800 or so years. We see that this is obvious proof that the soul continues to exist. That we don't just vanish after we die. That there is still a realm in which we continue to exist. And that is something that Jesus created us for. That God created us with that ability and Jesus teaches us this very fact. Because Jesus in His teachings is very clear that we continue to exist, that there is continuity between this realm and the one that is to come. In Luke the 16th chapter, if you would turn over there with me, in Luke chapter 16, we read about the occasion of the rich man and Lazarus. And perhaps you'll remember this occasion when Jesus is teaching. And He talks about this rich man who does very well in life and how he lives in, in wealth and splendor. And yet there's this poor man named Lazarus who would lay at the gate of the rich man who just wanted to have some of the crumbs that would fall from this rich man's table. Lazarus was full of sores. And the dogs would come licking his sores. Very miserable state. And what Jesus does in, as He is talking here and as He's teaching, both of them die. Lazarus dies and the rich man dies. Lazarus is carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man it just says that he died and was buried. And then the attention really shifts to that rich man. In verse 23, it says, In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame." But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. I want you to see there in verse 25 that Abraham says, Remember that during your life. That there is this continued existence that this, the rich man 
is the same guy with the same experiences and the same memories, the same consciousness as he was when he was alive before he had died. Abraham says, you need to remember how you lived. Now there is a continued consciousness. It's not that once we die that, well, you know, who I was just ceases to exist and that I'm going to receive new consciousness or something like that. That I'm going to be a new person. No, I'm going to be the same person. It's the same soul with the same experiences and the same uh, memories. It's the same consciousness that we had prior to death. There is continuity between this realm on earth and the spiritual realm that is to come. And the continued conscious state of the rich man I think also shows that there, in the Hadean realm there is no such thing as sleeping or soul sleep as some people suggest. That is where you are in a period of unconsciousness. That after the rich man died, he finds himself in torment. He is experiencing pain. Jesus teaches us this. But even more, Jesus teaches us about hell, the place of punishment for the wicked. And there is a place for those who die. In Matthew the 10th chapter, in Matthew chapter 10, in Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 28, Jesus says here, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And there is a place of torment, a place of of punishment for those who are wicked. And Jesus is very clear about it. That we need to fear God. That we need to have a fear of Him who has control and the decision to put us in hell for eternity if we have not given Him our heart and our life in obedience. Jesus teaches us about eternal punishment. But then Jesus in His teachings also comforts us. He comforts those who believe in Him. That there is a place that is prepared. A place where we can be in the presence of God. In John, the 14th chapter, in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 14... In John chapter 14 and in verse 1, this is the night that Jesus is to be betrayed. He is with His disciples and He says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's kind of interesting here, isn't it, that Jesus is the one who's about to die, and yet He's the one who's offering words of comfort to His disciples. And He's saying that I am going to prepare a place for you. That place is not here on earth, obviously, because Jesus is about to depart and leave them. He says, I am going somewhere that you are not going to be. But I will come again and receive you and bring you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is about a place. It's not merely about a relationship between Jesus and believers. This is an affirmation of Jesus coming again that He is not going to leave His disciples alone. That He is going to come again and He is going to bring us to Him. Jesus did not say He was going to come back to the earth and establish His kingdom, or that He's going to come back to some sort of renewed earth. Jesus said that He was leaving and that He would bring and re- He would return and bring us back to Him. I want you to understand or think about this, that Jesus is teaching His disciples that prior to His death, that He would not cease to exist after death, that He had something else to do after He died. And so, of course, the soul does not cease to exist. We do not cease our existence after we die, after our mortal bodies perish. It's why Jesus was able to tell the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus clearly understood that we have a continued existence after death. And if you believe in Jesus' teachings, then you will believe in life after death. Then we see in John chapter 11, our text as we heard in our reading this morning, Lazarus, not the same Lazarus from Luke chapter 16, but a different Lazarus. Lazarus had died, Jesus' friend. And in grief and in sorrow, Jesus is experiencing all the pain of loss of friends. He comes to Mary and Martha and He says in verse 23, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Jesus offers her comfort and hope here in the pain and the reality of death, saying that He is the resurrection of life. He is the one who can provide eternal life for those who would believe in Him. Which leads to Martha making that confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus then continues on where He furnishes proof that He is the one who has power over the grave. And He Himself has power to command those who are dead to come back. And performing what had to be one of the most amazing miracles that He ever did on earth. Someone who had been dead and rotting in the grave for a few days. Jesus does this remarkable thing in verse 43. When He had said these things, He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! The man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw, that he had, saw what he had done believed in him. And Jesus performs this amazing miracle to show his power and his authority over the grave. In being able to command Lazarus to come forth from the grave. How many of us have wanted to do that whenever we have lost a loved one? We want to say, come back. We don't have that power, but Jesus does. And it's the same voice. It's the same words. It's the same Jesus that will raise us from the dead. In John chapter 5 and in verse 28 and 29... Jesus, He says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment, all who are in the grave, everyone will be raised. Those who have done good unto life, those who have done evil unto eternal punishment. But all of this is founded upon the premise that there is a continued existence. After we die, there's going to be a reuniting of the body and soul. Which is ultimately seen when Jesus Himself, after He died, He was raised from the dead. That we read about in all four Gospel accounts. So what we see is that Lazarus died and Lazarus, the man, came back from the dead. Jesus died and Jesus Himself, the man, was raised from the dead. And yet, what I'm afraid of is that many of us think that poof, after we die, poof, we're gone. 
The Jehovah's Witnesses teach this about the soul. At death, man's spirit, his life force, which is sustained by breathing, goes out. It no longer exists. When they are dead, both humans and animals are in the same state of complete unconsciousness that the soul lives on after death is a lie started by the devil. I want to, what I want you to see is that the resurrection of Jesus offers full proof that after our body expires, after we quit breathing, after the muscle in our chest cavity, our heart quits pumping blood throughout our bodies, and we stop breathing, and we do not have that breath of life in us any longer. It's not that you cease to exist. The soul or that immaterial part of man never stops existing because of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is proof that there is no poof. I worked on that one. Y'all didn't laugh. And what makes Christianity so unique is that since Jesus was raised from the dead, Christianity is the only religion. It's the only religion that provides proof for evidence for life after death. No other religion can do that. It's only in Christianity that you can find the truth of what can prepare you for what is going to be after this life. And since Jesus was raised from the dead, we too will be raised from the dead. And we also come to recognize that we will continue to exist even after this mortal body expires. Then we also see that Jesus is the judge. In Acts chapter 17, as Paul was preaching in the city of Athens, he says in verse 30, in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance... God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. For Paul, he tells us that there is a day that has been affixed and appointed in which Christ Jesus will judge the world according to righteousness. In Acts chapter 10, and in verse 42, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 42, in Peter's sermon to Cornelius' household, it says, And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is the one who sits on the seat of judgment. And when we are judged on that final day, we will receive in recompense 
what we have done. That is, we are going to receive back what we have done, either good or bad. But this sort of begs the question, how can the dead be judged if there is no existence after life? How can I be judged for anything I do if there is no existence beyond this life? You see, we have to recognize that the Scriptures teach that there is life after death. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 10, Paul writes, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed or received back for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The idea of judgment may seem appalling to some. It may seem scary to others. What I think we can all see is that it's a very fair judgment, isn't it? Is it's based on the things that I have done. I'm not going to give an account or an answer or a defense for anything other than what I have done. I'm not going to give an account for what Jeremy has done or Kyle has done. And we are all going to give an account for what we have done each individually. And our deeds, our choices, our actions, our thoughts, our motives, our intents, they will be measured against God's standard of righteousness. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 6, he says that he will render to each person according to his deeds. And you continue on in verse 15. And he talks about in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when. According to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. That our thoughts, our secrets, the things that no one else knows about me, God will lay it bare. And He will judge based on His Word. And it's interesting that as we've made the point that Jesus is the Creator and that He was raised from the dead in the book of Acts and Paul's sermon in Acts 17, Paul ties all of this in together with the fact that we will be judged. In Acts 17 and verse 24, he talks about the God who made the world. And he talks about the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of Jesus being proof to all men that Jesus is going to judge the world. So why should you believe in life after death? I think the answer lies in Jesus. 
And to maybe just rephrase that question a little bit or to reframe it a little bit is why must you believe in the continued existence of the soul after death? Not just why should you accept Jesus, but why must you accept Jesus? The answer, I believe, is in judgment. As we have seen in the teachings of Jesus Himself, that there is a continuity of existence between this realm and the spiritual realm. And where you will be for eternity, all of eternity, is going to depend on how you live your life today and every day. I think that's what sometimes we struggle with, don't we? Is the fact that the judgment day, it doesn't seem to be something that we think a whole lot about. In fact, I think most people in the world, in our society, would probably laugh or mock you for believing in some big guy up in the sky, as they might say, who's going to judge all the world for everything that you've done. But even Christians, I think, sometimes struggle. We struggle with this. We struggle making decisions in view and in light of the future judgment that is to come. Because we struggle with things like that even in this life, don't we? Don't we like to compartmentalize our life? We have our home, we have work, we have church. We have our hobbies, our recreation. And we don't want any of those to really overlap. Maybe we have a certain set of friends here and we talk a certain way here. We do certain things over here. And we certainly don't want anyone at church knowing about any of that. We want to compartmentalize our lives. And I think sometimes we do that on a larger level. We compartmentalize this life from the, not, the one that is to come. And we don't think about having to pass through the judgment seat of Christ. Because this life is the here and the now. It doesn't have any bearing on what's going to happen in the next and yet the plain teaching of Scripture is that we have to recognize that the things that we are doing here, the things that we are doing now, the things that we believe, the things that we are practicing, that they do have bearing on where we will spend eternity. And if we lived every single day and made every decision through the filter of the final judgment would we make different choices? Would we go to the bar to celebrate and have a few beers with our buddies if we thought about how that might make us ill-equipped for the judgment day, not being sober-minded as Paul writes about? 
When we seek sexual satisfaction in illicit relationships with pornography, if we consider the judgment and the condemnation of God. When we gossip about our brethren or lie to others, if we thought about our measly defense before Christ's judgment seat. Maybe you think, well, it's just a little fun now, it won't hurt. That's exactly the problem. You may not hurt now. You might get away with it scot-free until the day of reckoning. Until the day of judgment. Where we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Where even the secrets that we have carried with us will be judged. And the problem is we also don't know when the day of judgment is going to be. We don't know when we will die. We don't know when that will all come to an end. That is why we must always, always, always be watching and waiting and be prepared. Because there is continuity between this life and the next, and we don't know when we will pass from this life into the next. We need to be ready and we need to prepare ourselves for the day of judgment. And Jesus has told us, hasn't He? The Scriptures have told us. And we need to believe in Him. Believe in God, believe also in Me, Jesus told His disciples in John 14. We need to repent of our sins lest we be condemned. That's the obvious point that Paul is trying to get us to see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. The fact that we will be judged. You need to repent. Or you will be condemned and you will receive back evil and bad in the judgment day. You need to confess your faith in Christ just as Martha did in John chapter 11 whenever she heard that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. She said, I believe that you are the Son of God. And then we have to be joined with Christ in His resurrection and His death in baptism. Have our sins washed away. Become a new creature. That is how we will be prepared for the judgment day. That is how we will be prepared to meet our God. In the book of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and in verse 7, Solomon writes, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Are you prepared right now, this morning, to return back to God? Are you prepared, are you ready for every secret thing to be made known before God in the judgment? Have you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you come to Him in obedience to the Gospel? We want to help you do that this morning.
so that you can be prepared for that day of judgment. That when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you will have a defender, a mediator, Jesus, the Son of God, who will stand next to you and say, this is my child. I gave my blood for him and he believed in me and he has been obedient to me. Enter in to the joy of your salvation. Those are the words that we all want to hear. But if we're not ready, if we're not prepared, if we're living a life of sin or if we have not confessed our faith and been obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are not prepared for that day. This morning, can we help you make your life right with the Lord? If there's something that we can help you with this morning, would you let it be known as we stand and as we sing the song of encouragement?